So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. Our guest this week is the amazing and very wise Joe Stokes. Joe is the district manager for Eurofix, Autofix, and Mike's Auto in Middle Tennessee. This is Joe's second time on the show, and if you've not heard his first interview, you've got to listen to it. It's amazing. In fact, it was actually one of our most listened to shows ever. So I asked Joe to come back and share some more wisdom, and share he did. We recorded a three-part series, which we're so excited to share with you. In this first part, Joe is going to share a situation he dealt with at one of his stores with an underperforming manager. During the course of telling the story, we unpack some amazing leadership skills and lessons that you can plug into your shop immediately to start becoming a better leader to your staff, a better parent, and any other area of your life you have influence in. This is a wonderful episode, so stay tuned. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads near me effortlessly increase car count. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Again. Again. Man. Two. Yeah, your episode last time was awesome. Uh, you, I know that you had a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, very popular episode. So I'm really honored that you came back with us. A lot has happened since you were last here. And so I'm really excited for the things that you're going to share um, because I, I feel like it's stuff that a lot of people listening are going to be able to relate to and, and really be helpful in their shop. So this yeah. will be fun. The feedback, like you said, last time was great. Um, I've gotten numerous people that have said a lot of things. So it's been encouraging. Definitely, when we were talking before the show, yeah, saying, you know, that feels like, am I doing the right thing? And for anybody that's not on a podcast, you kind of, Go and should I say that or should I do this or is this helpful? It's helpful. It's just, helpful. Just do it. If you've got something you feel like you should say, say it. So fun fact about the last time we recorded, uh, I think you were my second person. You weren't the second episode, but you were the second person 
I physically recorded. Um, and, and I remember, so, I mean, if you, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, I've certainly heard, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I think gotten better at, at interviewing. Um, but I was green when I did your episode. And so I remember like, I didn't know how to really control the conversation. I didn't know how to ask the right questions. Uh, and so I was really embarrassed at my performance on that episode uh, and I, I just thought to my, because I think it was like two and a half hours of raw audio. Yeah, we, we talked a long time. We did. Uh, and so I just kept putting off editing your episode because I was like, I, I, I was really, I, I wasn't sure if I could make, you know, the episode make sense because of just, you know, how, where we flowed. And then I finally, you know, got up the courage and like, okay, I'm going to do this. And honestly, Joe, your episode turned out to be one of my absolute favorites. You know an episode's good when you, you know, recorded it and then you as the host go back and listen to it. And as I listened to it, you know, cuz it was months after recorded, there were so many nuggets. I'm like, this is amazing. So, you got a lot of wisdom man and uh yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful you came back. It, it's funny you said that cuz it took so long to come out and I saw all the other ones come out and I was like, man, mine must have been terrible. I bombed. <laughs> I did this wrong. I did that wrong. And I just thought about like the ums, the uh, you knows. And I said this too much. And I was thinking, oh, dude, Thomas, Thomas hated it. I, I ruined it. I said too many things I shouldn't have. I probably swore and I don't remember it. <laughs> and this is supposed to be a wholesome show or something. I don't know. I was... I was pretty concerned. I felt bad. I'm like, Joe's got to think that something's wrong. Yeah, I, I did. I thought Sorry, on me man. though. Totally on me, not on you. Yeah, well, this one, hopefully I can I can get edited a little bit quicker. Yeah, I think I, you, I, you've gotten really good at it. I, I, I hope so. Uh, so I, I think, uh, I think that, you know, like we talked about before, you've got three really different things that mm -hmm. we're going to talk through. And so this probably will become a three-part uh, series. Yeah. And so, you know, we, I, I think I'd like to just kind of dive in with the first topic because, um, you know, in the flow that we talked through, I think that makes the most sense. Um, and if we want to swap it for something else, you know, we can do that. So um, either way, I think it's going to be a blast. Uh, Joe, for people that didn't hear your first podcast, with, which, by the way, if you did not hear the first podcast, uh, go to slcautopodcast.com. You can listen to it there or on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Not iTunes. That's not a thing anymore. Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's a great episode. I would recommend listening to it. Um, you're bringing some very different stuff this time. So mm -hmm. it's going to be fun. Uh, but anyway, if you've not listened to it, please listen to it. Um, and then, Joe, for people that don't know who you are, just tell us briefly you know, who you are, a little bit of your history. Yeah. Um, so I am the regional director for a auto repair shop in the Middle Tennessee area. I currently manage seven stores, about 80 employees. Um, I am married for 22 years, four children. Uh, two of them are in college, senior in high school, and an 11-year-old daughter. So uh, yeah, doing life. And that's pretty much me. Been doing it for a while now. Yeah, man. I think I'm two stores up from the last time we talked. At five Is it and more now, than that? Yeah, we've uh, yeah, I've opened two since. So I'm um, I was at five last time, and now I'm at seven. And next time I'm on, I'll probably be at nine. Nice. <laughs> That's now, the plan. Are we? Are you still building out those other stores? Because I think that there's more. physically more that 
we have or yeah that you have i'll have to edit that out that you have yeah two more that i've still got to do a build out with but the other two the build outs are finished outside of you know the minor things once the store's open you know touching up decor pictures on the wall that kind of thing we're kind of yeah. not sure about um but yeah they're all up running public staffed you know the public's coming in and not taking off as fast uh as i had hoped but uh well one of them at least but doing well paying the bills that's, that's good. an awesome start yeah <laughs> right yeah one of them's actually doing well turning a profit the other is still getting its feet underneath it but it's been open about six weeks okay so it's still very very fresh yeah i i, I think that's a reasonable you i know. think actually yeah we got fully <laughs> staffed last week okay. we had delays people moving in you know, from out of state, everybody's moving to Nashville. Yeah. So it's the cool place to be. So it's a terrible place. Don't move here. There's <laughs> you'll hate way, it. There's way too many people. Move to Texas. <laughs> I think that's where they're all coming from. Texas, uh, California. I, Texas has got a lot of people moving there though. They're like it's popular. Really popular. Yeah. It's yeah, I, I think well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, we can't drive. I saw a statistic the other day. Tennessee in Nashville particularly we had we ranked number three for the most aggressive driving and I think number four for the worst traffic yeah. and I think it was like number two for the most road rage incidents really yeah so you don't want to move here we're terrible at driving no, especially we, if it we rains really are. or if that white stuff I forget what they call it um snow yeah that if snow falls no it's all bets are off. Stay home. Yeah. Don't, batteries, don't even try. milk, and bread vanish from the store. <laughs> you can't eat. Everyone starves when it's a dusting. But so. Okay, but why is it milk and bread? Like, I don't eat milk or bread any other time. Have you not seen the food pyramid? That's that's <laughs> what it is. It's milk, bread, survival. That's how, <laughs> you, that's how you get along in Tennessee. Wow. It's ridiculous. I don't know why that's what everyone buys, but it is. All it right. just is. Yeah. It's terrible. It's yeah. such a bad thing. You just see people in the grocery store with like carts of bunny bread and you're like, what <laughs> is happening? <laughs> yeah. And toilet paper. And that's a new thing since COVID now too. I, yeah, we, we keep a good stock now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have it, a whole closet of it. It might be an overshare, but when that whole COVID thing happened and I saw the toilet paper disappearing, I was like, you know what they haven't done? I got to get ahead of this. Nobody's buying bidets. Okay, I've heard about your bidets. So I bought them for my entire house. And I was like, that way you don't really need hardly any toilet paper, if at all. So, and then, I mean, we're not going to make this all into that. But I'm just saying, once you have a bidet, you're like, I'm never not. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> you walk around judging everyone else. You're like, you're so dirty. You're <laughs> you animals. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never... Yeah, this took a turn for the I've worst. I've never quick. used one. I, <laughs> if if you're listening and you've used one and you like it, you know, let, let us know. But, Let's uh, talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a whole episode, part four. Bidet talk. Bidet That's talk. terrible. <laughs> That's so bad. You got to edit that out. Oh, man. There's a lot of things we're going to edit <laughs> out here. All right. So let, let's get into the meat here. So yeah. uh, when you're opening all these stores, one of the things that, that we've talked through is there's a lot of moving pieces at the existing mm -hmm. stores. And so you had a situation at one of the stores, the existing stores, um, 
where you had to remove a manager and it created this cascade of, of things that, that had to be addressed, things you found. And I think that that's such a relatable thing mm-hmm. for so many shop owners. And then even for employees that are, you know, let's say that they, you know, they're being led by a manager, been there for a long time. They leave. I mean, as an employee, I, I you know, I, I used to work in stores that that is such a unstable feeling. And so it just creates this massive disruption. So um, let's dive into that. Like, tell us what happened and then what, what, what came of that situation? Yeah. So essentially I had a store that wasn't performing well. It would perform well one month, next month the wheels would come off. It was consistently uh, just having performance problems out of everyone and finally came down to it of, you know what? I've given second chances, third chances, fourth chances. I've got to let this guy go. What did that look like? I mean, you're giving him a chance. I mean, are you just having like, hey, I need you to hit this number? Yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, it came down to the, you know, technicians not hitting certain ones, parts, parts, people not uh, being done correctly, staffing not being scheduled well around holidays um, or vacation conflicts. Um we would also have issues where parts wouldn't be arriving on time. And for those of you guys who don't know, we're a yes store. So we try to, you know, try to tell everybody, yeah, come on in. We want to be busy. And that would come and go as what was comfortable for them. And so what became of the store was mediocrity at best. Hmm. And everyone was comfortable with the mediocrity. So the lead of that was the manager. The tone is set by the manager. Mm -hmm. 100%. And you as a district manager, you can only influence the employee level so much. Oh, yeah. And that's actually something I did want to talk about. And I don't want to give it all away, but there's a certain level of withdrawal you need to have. That way, when you're, you know, either an owner, a direct regional director, something of that, like, you you can come into a store and just basically boss everybody around. However, it effectively chops your manager off at the knees and you make them completely ineffective. So you primarily, the way at least I like to do it is I run everything through the manager. If I see something going wrong outside of, you know, an accident about to occur or an unsafe condition or somebody mistreating somebody else, which... I, I don't think I've ever had to stop that. It doesn't really happen. But um, we primarily just go to the manager, tell them, you know, hey, this is what's going on. Sometimes there's paper involved. Sometimes there's not. And when there needs to be a correction, you know, I'll do the whole write-up situation. You know, it's verbal warnings, coaching, whatever we call it. We document it. And then it needs to come from them. And the reality of it is, is this situation, I went back and looked at my write-ups, my coachings, and my notes over the years and was like, man, we have been fighting this same problem. And it just hasn't changed. So, How long was that store struggling like that with this manager? Oh, gosh. Probably a good 18 months, two years. And and that was the thing. We would have these great months where it would turn around, but it wasn't creating new habits. It was, you know, oh yeah, we'll do it your way for a little bit. And then 
once the you know a one hiccup would happen, something would go wrong, or guy you know the the biggest hour turner would go on vacation, other people would get unloaded, uh, overloaded, and then they'd say, "See, this is why we need to do it the way I like to do it," and it would become a problem. Yeah. So, it, and it really starts to breed distrust. And between me and them, it's like, you're doing one thing when I'm there and you're doing something different when I'm not. Right. So that's where it was like, okay, we just, we just got to cut this and go. And so we came to a very amicable um, departure. Um, I try to be as honoring as I possibly can. I don't want to. How do you do that? I, I think that's something that people struggle Let with. Let somebody go? How do you do it in a way that's honoring? Well, I generally, what I'll say to them is, I'm a huge fan of keep it simple. I walk in and say, so-and-so, I'm letting you go. And then they'll either be taken back or they'll, if they're the type of person that can think through something emotional, they'll ask why. And I'm say, you know, well, how honest do you want me to be? <laughs> it's kind of a joke. But uh, I usually walk them through it. It's, hey, your numbers are off. We've talked about this. We've coached that. This didn't change. This didn't change. I've seen the following. I think you're a great person. However, your performance is not adding up. And Frank, you know, and then sometimes they'll, if they want to, if they start to argue with me, I just say, you know, hey, it is what it is. I wish you the best. And here we go. It's what we're either, if we're going to do a severance or things like that, I'll I'll lay all that out. Yeah. What it's going to look like. But I also lay out what it's going to look like for them when they leave the store. What is their behavior going to be like? Because I am not going to pay you a severance package and then you go and blast the company, me, anybody else, and then try to manipulate the store and be, you know, this bull in a china shop on your way out the door. That's not how this works. You don't get to have your cake and eat it too. Do you let them say goodbye? Do you give them, hey, you have a week? What does that look like? I typically ask them about that and it depends on their emotional state. Okay. So uh, I've had some that are like, I need a minute, or I need an hour. It's like, okay, well, before you go tell anything to anybody, you need to come back and talk to me. And then we're going to have the same line. I want to make sure. And I, I, I don't like to say that in the way that makes it sound like we're going to lie about their leaving, but I want to make sure the reasoning's the same. And yeah. that's where the honoring part comes in. Because ultimately, if I have to let somebody go, it's usually because they're not a good fit and they're, or their head's not in it. They want to be doing something else. And this particular manager had a passion in another area and his nights and weekends were full of doing that. Mm. And he really wanted to be doing that. So the reality was is that was where his passion was going and we were a clock being punched. You know, yeah. we were kind of funding it, which I'm okay with that. I understand that there's a lot of people that really want to to do different things and they find themselves in an industry where they maybe are good at it, but it's not really what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And I get that. But, uh, at some point when you're in a leadership role, that's where it's like, man, I it's got to be all hands on deck. It really yeah. does. And so this situation was a little bit of that. So the way I go about it is I'll let them know, hey, let's, you know, let's talk this out. Let's, do you feel like this was even a good fit for you? They're like, I feel like it was at one time, but it's not now. Yeah. And my life's changed. So and I understand that. 
I get that. So that's what we're going to go with. Hey, this is no longer a good fit. And we're going to go our separate ways. And that's how we're going to leave it. Yeah. And they, they, most of them really appreciate it because it's not shaming them. At right. the end of the day, even if, say, another employee says, you know what, I'm going to quit right after you let someone go, they're still usually in your building for a length of time. So you always have the last word. And I think it's really important that you make sure that last word is uplifting, it's encouraging, it's good that we wish them the best. Yeah. It's just another, they're just moving on to something else better in their life. I don't want it to be, you know, a situation where you're like, you've never had it so good, you know? Yeah. That horrible attitude. That's, I feel like the worst thing ever. And if that's the kind of thing that's running through your head, you got to reassess whether or not you're, why you're in leadership. Because that's, that's not it. And not everybody is fit to be in a certain place at a certain time. You know, there are sometimes there are stepping stones. I've been in numerous different positions and every one of them built me to be something. And I learned things. I learned a lot of persevering and patience thing, being a technician for a really long time and just having your butt kicked by a car of all things, you know, an inanimate yeah. object that you just can't seem to get right. And so now when you start dealing with people and you transfer from, you know, dynamic or I'm sorry, a static object to dynamics with people, you, it's a fun new challenge, but you just have to practice that same level of patience. And it's the same when you go to let somebody go. It's, I think it's Winston Churchill who said, uh, when you have to kill a man, kindness costs you nothing. Hmm. So when you go to let somebody go, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind. Yeah. Once you've made that decision, being kind, considerate, doesn't cost anything. And the great thing about that is, is I've had it go completely south. I've had to um, let somebody go that wasn't a manager, but the manager was really concerned that they were going to overreact. And so they were, hey, will you come in here and do this with me? So I was like, yes. And they immediately... Uh, were very combative. And so it was like, okay, look, we're not going to get into a who's right, who's wrong match. We're not doing that. But we, what we are doing is saying, you're not a good fit. You're obviously not happy here. And so the guy yelled at me, stood up, threw a key to the building directly wow. at me, slammed my door into the wall when he opened it and it put a hole through the drywall. <laughs> and, uh, and the manager at that point was freaking out. And so I jumped up just to follow the person out, make sure they don't, nothing goes weird. Yeah. And just said, hey, thank you for your time. And the great thing was, is it was on display for everybody to see how upset they were. I didn't need to add to it, talk about it. Yeah. I just needed to be the calm, collected, and it's okay. And everybody, no one had questions why that person was leaving yeah. once they see that. So with with this particular manager at, at the store that was underperforming, um, it, it it's interesting to me, you know, it was really an eight month, or I'm sorry, 18 month kind of process. How did you know, hey, we, we're at the end of the line? Well, there's there's knowing and there's feeling. Feeling 
the feelings got to where I was feeling too many losses and not enough W's, if that makes sense. It was a whole lot of, man, we're on a losing streak. We are not on a winning streak. And I like winning a lot. Winning's nice. Winning's nice. But it's something that is earned. And I'm looking at my other stores going, man, I'm running the same recipe, period. Wash, rinse, repeat. And it's kicking butt and taking names. And it's not here. So yeah. what's going on? Um, so I, a lot of times, I mean, that's what I kind of feel like is my hunch. Um, and then again, re reviewing things. And I, I, went in, I let it go on for too long. And something to say about this is this particular store is it, it's in a little bit of a lower income market and it's got the toughest clientele out of any of our stores. They, you know, they just, they haggle a little more, a lot more declines. You got to have, uh, you got to try a lot harder to sell. There, there's a lot to it. They'll eat your lunch if you let them. Yeah. It's like college, some old money, and then a lot of people that just commute into Nashville. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, it's a little, and it's a little, got a little industrial side too, with a little bit of a bedroom community mixed yeah. in. So you get a lot of different stuff and it's hard on people. And one of the big reasons that this manager was around so long is, I mean, I was like, for lack of better terms, this guy eats crap for breakfast and things just did not get to him, did not bother him. Um, so he would deal with angry customers so well. And he would deal with all these poor situations that involved any kind of a customer. Fantastic. And he would sleep great at night. It did not bother him. But then I realized that's a double-edged sword mm -hmm. because when the staff did stuff that was out of line, it also didn't bother him. It was totally fine. So while he could put up with angry customers, he also put up with crappy behavior out of staff, which gave us the result we were getting. There wasn't that, hey, we can do better. It was like, hey, that's fine. You know, water off a duck's back. We're okay. Everything was okay. Yeah. And that, once I, that kind of clicked for me, it was, okay, this is it. And it, it was hard. That was probably one of the hardest firings I've ever done. I really liked the guy. He and I got along great. I mean, I would, I don't hang out typically with any staff outside of work. But I mean, he was, if he was my neighbor, I'd hang out with him all the time. Mm -hmm. Super nice guy. Yeah. So it, it, that was tough. It was really hard. Did he, how did he take it? Oh, great. Okay. He was like, oh yeah. You know, <laughs> of course. I, I figured this is going to happen, you know? He's, wow. he so just, he knew that yeah, things weren't he, going but, well. And what was interesting is that he was like, I just didn't want to quit. I didn't want to be a quitter. I didn't wow. want to not try. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's a perspective I never thought about. Yeah. That you're doing this knowing you're not great at it, but you don't want to quit. And he wasn't like, I don't want to quit the job. He's like, I don't want to quit and give up and not win because there's all these other people around Wow. that are trying to win with me and they're trying hard and I'm trying hard. Let's try to make this happen. The wow. problem was that he didn't possess the skills to actually make all these things happen. He was given a lot of tools, taught a lot of things, but it wasn't in his name. He was very compassionate and I, I don't want to say that in a bad way, that it's anything wrong with it. I think compassion, the world needs a lot more of it right now. Yeah. But, uh, 
so compassionate without any follow through. And when you end up with that, it's a lot of people, you know, just getting away with everything. It's, you know, there's always a sob story and it's, oh yeah, yeah, I understand. It's nice, not kind. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's being kind, but you got to do your job. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's somebody we all know says, we wouldn't be here if we weren't making money. Yeah. None of our employees ever come around just to hang out. See if anybody you ever fired comes and hangs out randomly for free. Never they, seen it. Doesn't happen. Not a thing. So that that's reality. You got to accept it and uh, realize that's part of it. And it, you're doing your team a disservice to leave somebody. I, I mean, I messed that up. I When we got done, I apologized to the whole team. You know, this went on too long. I should have got it out sooner um, because ultimately it held everybody back. Yeah. It holds so many people back. And so if you are thinking about firing somebody and you know that they're a problem, do it sooner than later. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you're holding, your number one job is keeping people safe. I don't mean keeping cars from falling on them or keeping angry customers from hurting them. What I'm meaning is most people are more susceptible to being harmed by not having an income than anything else or having too little income. Right. So when you have someone who can control their income, who's doing a bad job and you're allowing it to happen, you're now endangering everything. Yeah. And in our world, the automotive world, you're one engine blowing up away from ruining a month and losing money. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So that's why it's important to hit goals Stack the cash so when the crap does hit the fan, you've got the resources to take care of your people like when COVID hit. Great example. We all lived through that. And I am incredibly grateful. We had a war chest built up because we kept everybody. We didn't lay a single person off. And it's only because we charged appropriately, we made money, and we saved money. Yeah. Outside of that, we would have been screwed like so many businesses were. Yeah. I mean, tons of businesses. I mean, nobody needs an example. We all know. We've all seen our favorite restaurant or a little mom and pops and tons of little brick and mortars just close up. Yeah. And a lot of it is you have to ask, well, they didn't see it coming. I get that. But how much were they saving? Or were they living day to day? And that's, that's where making sure you're, you're doing what you need to be doing. And that sometimes is unfortunately letting people go. Yeah. So you let him go. Uh, I want to know, I, I want to move on to, in a second, some of the the things that were the aftermath. So I think that's going to be really interesting. But I, I want to know when you let someone go, when and how or if do you address the store? So typically... If they want to say goodbye, like right away, I'll let them say their goodbyes. And then I address the store when they walk out the door right away. It is not a wait five minutes. I mean, it's five minutes if there's a waiter in the building sure. and I got to get them out. Yeah. But um, it's immediate. And then I try to do as much team building as I can. So I'll usually, I, I mean, it's not like I don't know this stuff's coming. So I'll usually have some other staff on my team there to help. Yeah. Somebody to come in, fill in those shoes and, uh, you know, do whatever needs to be done in the building and to keep the store jamming. I don't 
slow the store down. We don't back the schedule off. We don't do any of that. It's address the whole team. Hey, this is what's going on. They're heading to a new venture in life and we wish them the best. We're going to see them off. And that's that. And knowing you, you would never disparage. You would never, you know, talk bad about the person. It's continuing that honor. Exactly. And demonstrating that to the staff. Yeah. I mean, and if you actually think about it, it's selfish in a way to be honoring to them because when you're, when you're not honoring to them and you're just bad mouth them, all it does is make you look bad. So if you want to look good, be honoring to people. If you want your staff to like you more, honor the people on the way out. Yeah. Even when everybody knows they were slipping, everybody knows. Don't, you don't have to tell them that. Everybody saw it. They all knew it. They're all professionals. That's why they're there. Right. Just let them go. Let them leave in peace. There's no hard feelings because I don't want anybody out there running their mouth. And that's what I'm getting at is it truly is to your own benefit to be as honoring as you can to someone and really try to take care of them on the way out the door. Be kind for what they did for you, all the service that they did do. I mean, he was responsible for a, you know, well, I think what we do out of that store, one nine, almost two million. So it's, I think actually, no, I think last year we did two point, almost 2.1. So, yeah, I mean, he was responsible for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. There was a whole lot of income that came in and a lot of people's jobs. Yeah. So. I think, I think it's such a a big thing in life in general is having that culture of honor. Because I, I think for staff too, what you know, if you were to have gone in there and said, "Hey, this guy screwed it up," you know, he's horrible, he's horrible, whatever. Uh, I think as an employee, in the back of their head, they could say, "Oh, th- I wonder if he talks about me behind my back." I wonder, you know, it just starts those wheels turning, and and it is a glimpse into a part of someone that they don't like. Yeah, that's, I think that's a hundred percent. And I, and this is something else we'll talk about later, but learning to put your feelings and thoughts into good words and communicating them effectively. And what I mean by that is you don't need to learn new words per se, but how to effectively use them, when to say what and what to say, because people have a sixth sense where they, like you said, may not actually run in their head. Well, what is he saying about me? A lot of times people don't have an inner monologue and some people do. I do. Um, I do too. And the more I read and for everybody out there, a real quick rabbit trail, the more you read, the more you will have an inner monologue. And the more you have an inner monologue, the less and less shocking any kind of condition you will ever find yourself in because it's already happened in your head. And then the experience is just existential and mentally you've already gone through it and processed it. So it makes life way better, way easier. You you always seem like you've seen everything coming. That's where those people that are one step ahead, it's because of that. So read. Start there. That'll be a, I'm looking forward to diving into that deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so to get back to what you said, people thinking that their sixth sense is just saying it's this eerie ick 
feeling. A lot of people will say they just, you know, people will describe it as, oh, they give me the creeps or there's just something. He rubs me the wrong way. You'll hear a lot of people say that. Mm-hmm. And it's, they can't put it into words. They're not sure why, but in their head, their subconscious is going, hey, man, he's dogging that guy. What's he saying about you? That's right. You know, that's going, it's this, it is undermining the foundation that they feel their job is relying on, especially when it comes from somebody up high when they hear that kind of stuff. So it's really important that you learn when to shut your mouth and not say those things. Because number one, um, you're your own biggest influencer. When you talk, the things that come out of your mouth and into your ears, you're influencing yourself, not just everybody else. But when you say that kind of stuff, you'll just, you're building bad habits. And the less you say it, the more you say good encouraging things, the better habits you're building. And then the people around you are doing the same thing. Because if the boss says it and gets away with it, like, hey, Thomas, you look great today. I really like your beard. It's looking strong. And he he has an epic beard if you haven't seen him. (laughs) He can grow a beard that makes mine look terrible. But um, yours isn't bad. uh, It's just all white. getting old. It's distinguished. (laughs) Distinguished. I like that. (laughs) We'll go with that. Yeah. But, um, But yeah, it's... You know, it's that kind of a thing. You've got to create these habits within your culture where even when you let someone go, you truly believe that you're letting someone go do something better with their life. That you maybe, like we like to say, we're the best at doing what we do. And maybe we are. Maybe we aren't. I don't know how to measure that. But I may not be the best fit for everyone out there at certain times of their life. Maybe I am at some point, and maybe as they move on, I'm not the best fit. And that's okay. And that's what I think a lot of people have to realize as a a boss of some sort, and I don't you know, use the term boss lightly here, but um, when you're in any kind of leadership that you may not always be the best place for a person in their circumstance, and that's okay. It's okay. And that you let them out the door gracefully and kindly. And it doesn't matter what their behavior is. I get to control me. They get to control them. And that's that. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you will be in it. So I would really encourage everybody to practice that. Practice saying what needs to be said. And the easiest way is saying good things to people. That's the easiest. Because there's nobody that's like, dude, don't tell me how cool my shoes are. No, nobody's ever like, dude, uh, I, don't tell me my hair looks awesome. Don't, you know, quit, quit being nice to me. You know, nobody's ever going to say that. But if you start finding good things about a person a day, you'll start noticing things. And then the same people that usually can't do that also can't talk to strangers. And then I, I made it a habit to where I try to talk. If I have to stand in the line, I talk to everybody. And I'm immediately like, I, st- I love shoes. I'm a little bit, Thomas and I were talking about this and the, the ads that we fall for and mine were sneakers. And uh, But when I see somebody wearing any kind of sneaker that I'm into, I'm like, yo, man, I love that. You know, you got the, you know, whatever, Series 10 or Series 12 of those. That's so awesome. They're like, oh, man, thanks for noticing. And it's like, well, what are you here for? You know, whatever. I was getting my bow fixed the other day. And same thing, the guy had a, I, I do a lot of CrossFit and the guy had uh, some, oh gosh, what brand? He had na- Nano 10s, I think. 
and I was wearing a set of nanos too. So I was like, hey, what's up? And like my foot was like almost next to his. And he's like, dude, those are sweet. I love that. And then I was like, yeah, I want to get these froning ones. And they couldn't find them in my size. It was just, it turned into great conversations, shaking hands and making a friend out of it. And all because of a compliment about a shoe. And so I do that with like hats, clothing, and just stopping and looking around and saying, hey, everybody, we're all in the same place. Like, and I tell my kids that too. If you have trouble talking to people, start with the environment. Because if you're close enough to talk to them, you have the same environment. You have the same weather. You have the same, you're in the same uh, endeavor. If you're in school, you're taking the same class. You're, you're doing all these same similar things. You can talk about it. And it makes life easy. So when you start doing that, even, you know, standing in line to get into the movies or at a restaurant waiting for food, talk about the food. Ask somebody if they've been there before. What do you recommend on the menu if you have? Drink specials, things like that. Did you hear about it's supposed to ice tomorrow? And that's actually supposed to happen here? Oh. And I love that one because, man, you'll know who to stay away from right away. I got to get my Kroger delivery order in. I know. I got to go get some milk and bread. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's such an inside joke yeah. for everybody not from here. If you're from up north, you're like, you losers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We'll get a half inch of sleet and everything's like the world's coming to an end. Yeah, I Apocalypse think, now. Gosh, it, it was like a year or two ago that the governor came on. He's like, stay home, people. Yeah, he was like, I know. I'm from here. I know y'all can't drive. Right. Stay home. Y'all can't handle this. You're going to get people hurt. <laughs> and that, that's how it is. So this manager, you let him go. You let him go. There was a lot that went down after that. A lot of things that you discovered. Walk us through that. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads near me effortlessly increase car count. Yeah, so we let him go and we discovered there was a lot of, we'll start with staff. People just not being held accountable, you know, doing stuff. And they might get something said to them like, hey, let's try to do X, Y, and Z next time. And that would be it. Nothing more. Uh, not getting written up. That's how the manager would, this manager mm -hmm. would handle. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It was that water off a duck's back. If he does it with customers, he does it with staff. He was so laid back. So, so laid back. That nothing actually back. had impact. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we, with the staffing, we found that and it created a whirlwind when we came in and said, here's what we're doing. We're following our systems and we all know that you know them, but we're sticking to them. And I put an interim manager in there that was one of my assistants and uh, had a strong talk with her about it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because 
if anybody has ever dealt with a small child who you say, I'm going, I've realized that every parent does this. They give them sugar and they think everything's fine because they see how happy it makes the child. And then bedtime comes around <laughs> and they realize, oh my gosh, we have shot ourselves in the foot. This is the worst thing ever. We have got to get this sugar demon out of our house. <laughs> this is horrible. And so you start getting rid of the candy and the kid goes berserk. Once goes through withdrawals, cries, I want this, but over time, forgets about it, yeah. moves on. Yeah. And you know, then sees the light of day and realizes mom and dad don't actually hate me. So it's similar there. It was, everybody's like, you, you hate me. And uh, here's to your interim manager or to you? To, to, well, to all of us, kind of okay. like, and they didn't say I. I hate know that you. manager, and she's she's tough, amazing. Love her so oh much. Oh my gosh! If you're listening, you know who you are. You're yeah, amazing. You are the cat's meow. But uh, but yeah, she's very tough, and we 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 have a, a joke of if you're gonna be a strong manager, you need to be okay being the grim reaper. Mm -hmm. Um. And does it mean you need to love it? Does it mean you need to enjoy it? It means you need to understand that it's necessary. Yeah. And you're okay with that. And you can operate in that. That's what that means. Um, so please don't misunderstand me out there. So we start holding people accountable, running the systems. And people buck it. They try to, you know, do that here and there. Yeah, they'll try to sneak one by you. Test the waters. Yeah, they're testing the waters. Yeah. I don't want to make notes. I don't want to write things down. I don't want to do this inspection or I don't want to call that customer back. I don't have an update. I told them, I'll, I told them, I'll call them when it's done. You know, that kind of thing. So it was like, you know, 20 things that oh, were falling apart. Oh, yes. So did you, did you tell them like, hey, I need you to do all these right now? Or did yeah. you focus on? Yeah, it was like, hey, y'all, welcome to the game. We're going to start training today. We're not, Yeah, the, you want to be an adult, you want to be paid a high rate, you're going to do all these things. Because y'all pay well. We pay very, very well. Yeah. We have numerous six figures plus yeah. employees. Yeah. It is not out of the ordinary. Um, so yeah, it, if you want that kind of money, I'm fine paying it, but I do expect the performance. Right. And it is a, f a failure on my part to not inspect that as Greg Sands likes to say, you know, inspect what you expect. And if you're not going to do that, then you're just, you're really screwing your shop and you're screwing your other staff members. So getting everybody in line, basically telling, you know, Hey, all the techs, here's the systems. And it wasn't that it, they didn't know them. They knew them, but they have been so loose for so long that it was it was pretty crappy. And I'll add this in there too. And for anybody out there that's expanding, and I ran into this with this store, it's kind of a unique situation where in the middle of expansion, I also had to let this guy go. And while doing that, I had brought in people to, quote, be trained in that store because of the other stores opening. And they were going to fill positions in the new stores when they opened. The downside is, is when they get loosey-goosey and they think this is, you know, let's hypothetically say they get $30 an hour for easy math here and they do, you know, five hours of work or something. Then you go to the new store and suddenly they're getting $30 an hour, but it's expected they, they do eight hours of work. 
And now they're like, well, I'm doing more, so I need to be paid more. When it's actually like, no, you weren't doing the job before. You were missing the mark right. majorly, but you were thought to believe it was okay. So there's a whole nother reason that you got to hold people accountable to do the job. If they're not doing the job, you simply have to remove them. And it sounds cold, but what's really cold is leaving them there, leading them on that they're doing the job yeah. and letting the rest of the staff suffer because of it. Even though you may go, well, Ben, we made a $20,000 net. Well, what would have happened if you made 30 or 40? What would you have paid your staff then? How much would your advisor made more at the end of the year? I mean, when you start stacking up, if that was a commission difference of 2K a month for a service advisor, that's yeah. $24,000. That was your service advisor putting their kid through college. And you just simply said, I don't want to do what's necessary. So they're going to make less and I'm going to hold them back. And now they can't do their dreams. Well, guess what? They're going to go find a job with somebody like me. That this is for everybody out there. If you don't want your people being employed by a better employer, that's what you got to do. You, you got to be the better employer. You got to be the better employer. Yeah. You need to get out of your own way. And sometimes getting out of your own way is stop going your way to do other things for other people. It's let them do their thing. Um, and that's takes some unpacking right there. Sometimes you can get out, of, you get in your own way by going out of your way. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it, it really is sometimes keep your head down and stay going straight. And that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But uh, so keeping people in line, getting all that stuff going at that store really... It was tough because everybody had questions. Everybody was like, I feel like I'm being singled out. And we were like, no, you're not. And we're having the same conversation with everybody. It's just some people take it better than others. Some people are emotionally more mature and they understand, you know what? Hey, I get it. This is what was happening. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard, but this is becoming the new normal. I hate that phrase. It all does remind me of COVID. Should stop oh. using it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the, the uh, becomes the new what we're doing. This is the now. And uh, once they started doing that, things started going up and up. The store finished with, I think, their best month with the interim in there. And they're on track for a really great month right now. Nice. And we did have uh, two other people quit. And they were also the two lowest performers. And I don't want to make everything about performance. I do realize that they're people too. However, again, they were given numerous chances. And they would perform low enough that I would question, how are you eating? How are you paying your bills? And I, I don't understand it. You know, do you have a desire to excel? And that that's something that's been tough for me because I've just kind of naturally come by being competitive and to see someone who just is not at all, doesn't want to challenge themselves, doesn't want to push themselves is tough. And so I've been really trying to understand that more. And what turned me on to it, and I got to give props to uh, Adam Prizer on this, is that he said, man, you got to build your business out of mediocre people. 
Now, I'm not saying everybody in our company is mediocre. We have a lot of rock stars. Amazing team. A lot of yeah. people have grown. They've all, I would dare to say, we have very few mediocre people. But there are people in the world that do not want to excel at what they consider a, and I'm doing air quotes here, job. You know, they're, they've got other passions and those other passions are going to be what consumes their headspace. It's not going to be how good of a parts person they can be or how great they can sell the 500th belts on a BMW, you know, or the fourth, 14th set of tires that month. They're not like, oh, yeah, man, I see how good I did that. I'm their passionate career about that. drives their, mm -hmm. their passion outside of work. Exactly. And there's a time and a place for that. Yeah. I mean, I've been there where I was not excited, didn't love it, wasn't like, oh, man, I'm so excited to go talk about more cars today. You know, I live and breathe, you know, motor oil. I'll brush my teeth in it. You know, that's, it was not me. But I also learned to grow a passion for it because it supplied everything that I was passionate about. And when you can make that good cognitive link of this gives me the life that I want, yeah. you can become protective of it and cherish it. And then the passion starts to grow for it. So anyhow, Getting people on board and afterwards took a lot of work. The The corporate team stayed out there a lot. And the interesting part was there was now a vacuum of power in that store because the manager had been removed. And you get a lot of people that are going, hey, I want to be that. I want to be this and I want to be that. And at first... I was a little bit anxious, like, okay, I got to get this somebody in here. I got to get somebody in here. And I'm looking at this like, oh, I like this quality about this person. I like this quality about that person. I talked to a few from the outside. I did not love the idea of hiring from outside. Um, but I felt like it would be wrong if we didn't at least talk to them. So I did not love them. I just, I wasn't excited about it. I just kind of came away from it. Kind of like, could you do the job? Probably. Is everybody going to hear love you? Probably not. Do I love you? I don't think so. I don't, I mean, I just didn't get any warm and fuzzies out of it. And uh, it was, it was interesting to, to talk with people that wanted to be considered. And what I tried to do to narrow this down, because I knew it was something was going to happen. I didn't know how it would play out, what it would look like. And I ended up just getting some notes and questions like if somebody came to me, and this goes back to that reading and thinking ahead, if somebody's going to come to me and say, hey, Joe, I want this job. And I need to say, wow, you caught me totally off guard. I have no idea what to ask you. You don't want to be that guy. So I was immediately like, okay, cool. Let's go have a conversation. And it was questions like, here are concerns I have from behaviors that you have displayed in the past. What are you going to do to combat that? What are you going to do? That's what you're saying to the Yeah. I'm so asking, they're saying like, I want to, what What are some things that, that Oh, that's, I, you know, hey, I want to be considered to be the manager. I think I've done this and that. And so I'd ask, you know, they would tout some accomplishments in the past and uh, rightfully so. And, uh, so I would immediately ask them, well, hey, what do you think needs to be addressed in the store? And they were like, oh, well, you got to hold people accountable. I'm like, cool, great. How do you do that? And then they were like, well, 
you, uh, uh, and then, you know, they start kicking rocks and looking at the ground and it's like, okay, well, we haven't got that part sorted out. So let's move on. Here are concerns I have with your behavior where you were short with this person, where you've been short with your colleagues here. You have not been very patient with them. You've also done the same with a customer or you've used, you know, certain language here and there that wasn't very becoming of you. So what are you going to do when you're the manager? Like all of a sudden that's going to make you better because titles don't make people better. Performance doesn't indicate you're going to be a great manager either. Exactly. There, there's a big difference between managing and selling. Yeah. And, or, 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 or turning or wrenches parts or, or parts. And uh, just a huge difference. Um, so that's what was really interesting is hearing them give a pitch. And when you brought up a personal behavior, what was their response to the personal behavior problem? They're being interviewed and they don't know it. Yeah. Exactly. And a, a couple of them were really good about it. They were like, you know, that is, that's true. I can totally get that and see that. Um, and immediately said, if I'm not chosen, you know, it's okay. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with my job. I respect the decision you make and we'll move on from there. I'm just grateful you're talking to me and willing to be considered. And it's like, and I just, felt like I sort of kind of beat him up a little bit. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't rude about it, but I was kind, but not nice. Yeah. It's like, Hey man, you know, this stuff's happened in the past. And when you're the manager role, you need to understand there is nowhere else for you to go. Like if you're screwing up, I'm going to have to fire you. Well, and I I think too, if you hadn't been that honest, you're perpetuating false ideas that they have about where they're at. Exactly. And how good that they are. And and if you were, and so I think what I've seen before is like you as the manager, if you're afraid of that level of confrontation, you really do a disservice to your team. Oh, it's huge. Confrontation is, it's a double-edged sword, just like anything else. It can be the best thing. I think it is possibly one of the best things. And I think it's a great, indicator and that's something i've been working on is uh, indicators that is of when somebody should be considered to move up and this kind of goes into a little bit of the scaling we were going to talk about um but what kind of sparked me on this was it being in the middle of opening two new stores and then having to deal with this at the same time Mm -hmm. and saying okay what are indicators? Because honestly, I don't have the time right now. My life has changed so drastically with this many employees and this much stuff. I don't have the time to sit here and gauge what you tell me across the table and then say, are you honest? Are you lying to me? And be able to make a decision that down the road, years later, I'm going to be happy about. It's very difficult to do in a short little window of time. And you get just a snapshot. And many times it's what they want you to see too. So like responsibility is a huge one that is an indicator. Do they run towards it or do they run away from it? Hmm. And then when there's problems, do they run at the problem or do they run from it? How many excuses do they make? Are they, do they even make them? Um, 
And then confrontations, and one of them is, will they confront not just a problem, but a person? And so you can teach some some tactics to that. When sometimes if if you're an Enneagram person out there, I'm an eight uh, with a nine wing. But if you're one of the people that are like just bull in a china shop, you know, running here, I'm going to show you what it is. I'm going to tell you I own this place, blah, blah, Type blah. Type A with an edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sharp edge. Um, you can teach them tactics. You can learn tactics. But getting somebody who does not like confrontation and, and is afraid of confrontation, just in general, is very, very difficult to get them there. Toning down a confronting person is usually way easier. So those are some of these indicators I was looking at. And the person who knows that they're hearing this, that was ultimately where I was going down on my box list going, man, they're checking these things off like they're going out of style. I mean, I just can't believe how good she is. Um, the other guys had some, you know, they had some work to do. And it's up to them to put the work in. I'm happy to lead that horse to water, but I can't do the work for you. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, like we were saying so much, I think it's kind of becoming a theme. It's a disservice to your team to do the work, to do something for them where they're now convinced that they earned it, yeah. but they didn't earn it. Yeah. And because once what happens when they go out into the real world, and uh, it reminds me when I was a kid, we were in karate and we showed up at a tournament and we had these, our karate was not like a big chain. It was a very small little dojo. And uh, the lady was from Korea and the dude was like the topmost of classes and was a special forces guy. And they, they were hard, like just very kind, great, great people, but hard. And you didn't climb ranks quick. Like it was a long endeavor and a lot of work. You'd show up at a tournament and there'd be these kids that are like your age and there are two belt ranks above you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on here? And our little dojo would just mop the floor with people because these people, these kids were getting bought and paid. You know, mom and dad are shelling out $500 a month. My kid needs to get a new belt every three months or four months, they should be a black belt next year so he feels good about himself. And then, you know, ours is over here with kids that have been in it for three years and they're not even midway up the chart. And they're mopping the floor with a lot of people that are, you know, air quotes again, outranking them. So that false confidence, I feel like, again, in the leadership role or a parenting role is incredibly an incredibly poor choice to do to someone. I feel like with my own children, and if you've been around me, around my kids a lot, people will think, oh, I, I probably come across pretty hard. But I'm very honest with them. Your sons are, I, I've, I've interacted with them a few times and they are incredible. Like you've clearly they're, done a great job. They're great boys. They are. However, I do not, for instance, I will show an example here. I have a basement that is uh, not finished out and we wanted it finished out. So I paid for everything. I hired them to do this and I gave them a quick rundown on how you hang sheetrock. And I did that for quite a while. 
before I got into the car industry. So I was pretty familiar with it. And they're like, hey, dad, come down here and check out our work. We're done. And I go down there. I look at it. And I grab a pencil and I, you know, mark the walls up in areas that need to be addressed. And then they're like, oh, how good of a job was it? And I said, well, it didn't fall off. It's up there. And they were like, well, I mean, is it like a really good job? And they were fishing. And I said, do you want me to be honest with you? And they said, yes. It's some of the worst hung drywall I've ever seen. And they said, well, what makes it so bad? And I said, well, come on down here, but only if you can hear it. If This is not personal. This is not dad doesn't love you. This is not you're a bad person. And the key thing here is you're, no actions that you do need to be tied to your identity. And God, that is good. the one really great thing is my wife and I have tried really hard to be very clear about your behavior stinks if something's wrong or your behavior is amazing. But just because you're awesome at this thing does not make you a better person. It does not make me love you more because you're awesome at the guitar. One of them is a really amazing drummer and saying, you're an amazing drummer. I love you more now. It, it's not like that. It doesn't work that way. You have a great display of discipline, control, practice, and it's manifesting itself in how good you are at the drums is what it's doing. It's an attribute versus an innate quality. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You put it way better than I did. Um, <laughs> this is why you do podcasts. Uh, but getting them to understand that my identity is not tied to these things. And if you can do that in your work too. Your confidence goes out. It, well, what's great about it is, is I'll keep a guy that screws up every damn day. If you can tell him, if you can say, hey buddy, that one's off right here, but let's try to do X, Y, and Z. And they go, oh man, my apologies. I messed that up. Thanks boss. I've got a couple that are like that. And man, they grow like weeds. They are taking off. And you just keep pouring water on them. And man, they turn into amazing people. But then they're the ones that are like, man, this guy's a jerk to me. All you do is coming down on me. You're just doing it. It's like, man, your behavior is not you. You're, you made decisions to do that. That's what you went and did. You made a choice. Like when you hung the sheetrock and you decided to cut off the beveled edge and put the blunt edge against the beveled edge. And I don't know what you want me to do with that, but <laughs> it was like, guys, this is going to look really bad when it's all done and painted up. We're going to have to change this. And they were like, they were kind of bummed. And I said, well, that's fine. We overbought on sheetrock. We got more. Let's correct it. Let's make it right. I think one thing I've heard from you a couple times that's really interesting to me is when when you've described some confrontations or some some feedback sessions, whatever you want to call it, you've invited people into the depth of that conversation. You you know said to your boys and you said to that manager, "How honest do you want me to be?" I think that's a really interesting thing because I it doesn't seem like that's common. It seems like people are just I'm going to just tell them you know super blunt to the point, but if they're not there to receive that, it, it doesn't, I don't think it gets anywhere. So the fact that you're inviting them in, you're gaining that, you know, level of connection, you are asking permission. So, you know, subconsciously like, okay, I've agreed to hear this. And then you're also honoring the place that they're in. That That's a really interesting thing that you do. Uh, 
And it, to be honest, I think it was birthed out of sarcasm. You know, and somebody would say, what do you think? And I'd go, well, how else do you want me to be? And then I wouldn't even wait for a response. Right. It wasn't that, really a question. Yeah, it wasn't a question. You were just now being a jerk. Yeah, and now it's a real question. It's how honest do you really want me to be? It's sort of like anybody that was out in the Danny Silk uh, crowd about oh, parenting Danny. and stuff like that. Oh Danny. oh, Danny. Love Danny. And he would always He's be, a minister at a church in California. Yeah. He, yeah. But he's he, known for parenting. Parenting, yeah. He's got some great one-liners too. Yeah, he does. And he would say that one. They'd tell him all these problems and he'd go, oh. Loving wow. your kids on purpose. Yeah. Great book. Great book. Yeah. Great book. I'd advise everybody. Whether you're, you know, Christian or not, there's just yeah. some solid Just stuff some in great there. intentions. Yeah, uh, and that, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways was being intentional. And it honestly wasn't just your children; it was all relationships. It was being intentional yeah. about what you wanted to convey to that person. If you know, I love them or I don't like them, and that's actually really interesting too. And we'll we'll have to rabbit trail off to this if we want to make a note of it. Is conveying uh, being unhappy with something. And how to do that tastefully, tactfully, so that it actually works to both parties' benefit mm-hmm. and not just being like, I'm going off the rails. But back to Danny, Danny would always say that line of, well, how's that working for you? Every time you'd tell him, well, I'm doing this. And so I told him, you know, it would be some ridiculous story, you know. Yeah. I told him he can go pound sand. And he would just, you know, well, how's that working for you? And he's not saying it sarcastically. No, he's, he's serious. With all intentionality saying. He really wants to know, did that work? Did you get a the response yes. you wanted from what you're doing with that person? And you watch people's eyes pop out of their head and it's great. It is amazing. So now, like I'll ask my wife sometimes when she's stressed out in a real estate deal or something's going on and I'll be... Most of the time, I'm just standing there to hear it. You know, I'm I'm sorry. Sorry, baby. I know this sucks. And there, for those that don't know, the real estate world, especially in Middle Tennessee, it, it's super intense and the tactics have gotten rough. Like there are rules and guidelines and ethic guidelines they have to stand by. And there are people breaking them right, left, and sideways. And my wife is an avid rule follower. Like... I can make a rule in my own house and she has a hard time breaking it. And I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. I just made it up. (laughs) But, uh, and so she has a hard time with that. And so often I'm just there as the, I'm sorry, this is happening. I, you know what? Hey, you, you're great. It's not taking anything away from what you do. They're just, you know, this will shine on them. Don't worry about that. That kind of a thing. And, I'll ask, you know, she'll ask a question and I'll say, well, how honest do you really want me to be? And when you phrase it that way versus, well, you know, how honest do you want me to be? Yeah. You you can do it in the way you phrase it. And she'll say, you know, I don't really know that I want to know right now. Yeah. And you can say, okay. Honor that and and let her be where she is. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a hug. You want me to go make you some tea or you want some food or, you know, what can I do? that kind of thing, just meeting them where they're at. And I've had some people, when I've let people go and I'm like, is there, do you have any questions? And they'll say, no, I'm, I'm, and they're very closed off or it's not even that. They just don't want to share it with you. 
And that's okay. That's all right. Because at the end of the day, remember, they're leaving. There's, and they may be thinking three steps ahead yeah. that there's no point. Or saw it coming and, and yeah. they're just, they've already had time to process. Yeah. And so they're moving through it. They're ready to move on and they want to move on now. Yeah. And if that's the case, by all means, let's just keep it civil and be as kind and polite and honoring to them. And we'll move on. They're going to move on. And in two weeks, nobody's even going to be thinking about this. Yeah. So it's not worth usually giving it that much more time. So let's bring it back to the store. Mm -hmm. So you have this leadership vacuum. You have all these staff members who, you know, didn't understand that they were also underperforming unknowingly, unwillingly. You're, you're raising the bar, like saying, Hey, sorry, the expectations were not where they need to be. This is the actual expectation. You've got people that are, you know, Hey, I want to be the manager, but they don't have the, you know, they might have good skill at their current role, but they don't have, you know, the traits that a true manager needs. So how did you, that, that sounds chaotic. Oh, yeah. How did you actually get the store stabilized? So uh, several things. It was, we called it beating the drum. And for those of you that are not managers or owners that haven't managed in management, you basically have to be okay hearing yourself say the same thing over and over and over. It is a beat of a drum that never dies. It never goes away. And every time you get a new staff member, guess who needs to hear it? Just that clap, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, if you All hand them a manual time. say yeah. good luck or show them a video and you're, 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 you're kidding yourself. Yeah, it... And people will get off time. All you got to do is attend a church service. Go to a concert. No one can clap together, okay? They can't. They just can't. It's terrible. And when you're a drummer, it is horrible to be around. It's like, come on, y'all. But beating that drum is something that you have to understand because it's annoying. Like, I don't like to do the same things twice, three times, four times. And I mean that in, like, in life. Yeah. I get tired of things very quickly. I Anybody that knows me, I've had probably 20 plus motorcycles. I've burned through cars. It's just the experience for me. It's I want to see what it's like. And then they're just objects. I don't care. And people, I've heard numerous people like freak out and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you just let them go. And it's like, ah, whatever. You know, it's a thing. It's not a person. Right. I'm very, very aware of the differences between objects and people. And I think there's a lot of people that could also benefit from that. But beating that drum is something that I had to beat into everybody else too. Just constantly, every single day. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And getting, and even the people that were saying, hey, I might want to be the manager. They were like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so annoyed with hearing this same stuff. But it's like, but look how good it's working. Um, and I think I men mentioned in the last podcast, and if you didn't listen to it, go listen to it, uh, about a refresh rate um, where if, let's hypothetically say you meet somebody, you talk to them for 30 minutes and you kind of develop some thoughts or ideas about them. And then you meet them again. Those same thoughts and feelings, that first impression tends to linger and stick. And as people try to change, it is... Again, uh, I feel like an obligation in leadership that you look for those changes, that you look for what you're asking for 
and that you have a fast refresh rate of their little improvements because they're going to be small. They're not going to get them all down. It's like teaching someone anything. You know, like when you teach somebody to juggle, you always start with that one ball and then you add in two and then you'll add in three and you'll kind of get that going. It's almost easier to learn to juggle with just one hand and then you bring the other hand in. So it's the same way with a person. You teach them that one thing, you celebrate it, you embrace it, you encourage it, and you let them know, I see you doing this and it's good. This is improving. This is where we want to go. But that drum keeps beating and you're going to stay on time with it. And as they do that, constantly be looking for those improvements. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a lot of people in leadership who's like, man, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. That's the worst saying in the world. It's lazy. It is. It is. And you know what? The Some people may be lazy. Some people may be. I have a dog that never does, wants to do anything we tell him. <laughs> but you know what? Years nonstop of diligently walking outside, doing our sit, lay down, roll over, shake, bark, speak, sit pretty, do all the tricks. He can do all of them now. He is eight. My other dog got it down at six months. But he does it. He now does it. But it's been nonstop diligence of just doing stuff. I mean, if you can't run a mile right now, you're definitely not going to get there by not putting the shoes on and going outside. It's going to take running 10 feet, then running 20 feet, and then a quarter mile, a half a mile, and then you don't get to just jump to that distance right away. It just doesn't happen. And it's the same way with your staff when you're trying to get them to improve. Now, if they're not going to improve and nothing's getting better, well, then you you may need to look into replacing them. And it depends on your timeline. In our particular case, we had the we were, the store wasn't like falling on its face and we were making money. It was okay. We had time. Um, And some stores, I know that's not a case where they're desperate. They need it to be changed. And in those circumstances, sometimes you just got to let somebody go quicker and you have to. You need somebody who's plug and play right out of the gate. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally where you're at, but you got to be able to see it and judge it and then beating that drum And just every time you're there, it's I'm here to back you up. I am here to support you, but I am also here to challenge you every single time I see you. That's what we're here for is to grow you. And when you grow, the store grows. Reminds me. So I I went to a concert uh, a few days ago um, here in Nashville, and I am fascinated by all the production side of a show. I go to a show I have a hard time focusing on the performer because I'm like, oh, look at the way they did that. Oh, look at look at how they're producing this right here. Wow, that's interesting. And and one thing that fascinates me is the concept of click tracks. Oh, yeah. So most of you, if you don't know this, most churches have them. Every venue concert in the performer's ear, in addition to their audio and whatever their mix they want, there is something called a click track. And all it is is just over and over yep. and over the pace. And so, and that allows them, one, to stay on the right, you know, uh, not get off time, but it also allows all these other parts of the performance to be timed. The The lighting system is timed to the click track. And so by ensuring that everyone's on the same cadence, all these other parts of the show are allowed to work. And so I, I think what I've heard from people before when I was coaching is people will think, okay, I'm going to train them initially 
okay, they've got it. And then they turn off the click track and they don't go back to those things. And it creates a situation where over time, not even because of their fault, but just because they don't have that cadence anymore, things start falling apart. And then we wonder why. Yeah, that's 100%. And it doesn't look like, you know, let's say you're running 200K months. It doesn't look like 200K, then 197, and then, you know, 150. And it it will be like this 200, 195, 198, then 189, then 199, and then 172. And it's because they, they fall down and they don't know how to get back on pace, get back on track. And kind of using like what you were saying and to also add to that um a lot of times bands will have band leaders and i'm That's a right. i'm a drummer and i follow a ton of drummers and a lot of them if you're on instagram and you want to see how this works follow some drummers and a lot of them will play their in-ear audio and their band leader is talking to them the whole time so like a music director yeah yeah and if you see any big production shows, like I saw Justin Timberlake at Pilgrimage. Nice. And I was in the same camp. I mean, we all knew every single song that was being yeah. played. Yeah. But the production, it when the screen would go jet black or the, the stage, you couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden, he would start talking to the band and then he would just like... As soon as he put his hand in the air, the whole band would just jump in and a blast of light would come off. Then they'd all stop again. And they would start, stop, start, stop. And they're on a stage that's 100 feet wide. None of them can see each other. They're all just listening. And there's a band director in there going, you know, play the stops. Here we go. We're doing this song. And we're counting down in, you know, one and two and three and four. And and they're running their count, whatever the click is. And they're telling each person, you're doing this to remind them of what's coming up. And it was really amazing to watch some of these. I really love following uh, gospel drummers because, man, they just get after it. Yeah, yeah. And watching some of their big productions, uh, like what's that guy's name? Uh, something Franklin. I can't Kurt remember. Franklin. Yeah. Love Kurt. him. Dude, I watched his drummer uh, and the stuff being talked. It was a nonstop conversation. And the drummer also sang background vocals and had a mic just to talk to the band as well. Yeah. And he's talking, playing, listening in his headset while he's playing this groove, doing all this stuff. And this guy's just going berserk. Tons of fills. And he's doing background vocals. So he'll sing in the background, turn around, say something to the rest of the band, go back to singing, say more to the band, all while playing all this. Yeah. It is so much going all at one time. But the point I'm getting at is, and people say, oh, they're just so talented. That all falls apart when that band director goes away, when that click track goes away. Yeah. It is so hard to do without that support. Yeah. It's that underlying foundation of what people can really do when things are set up correct and everybody is just doing their job. That is amazing. It's yeah. like you'll see... I mean, we've made changes in some stores and we didn't even add staff and watched thousands and thousands of dollars of revenue just come up. It just mind-blowing. And I kept thinking, okay, we're going to hit a ceiling. We're going to hit a ceiling. We can't seem to find a ceiling. And we just keep adding more team members because it just keeps growing 
mm-hmm. and it won't stop. And I'm thrilled for the team. I'm just like super pumped because now they're all like, how how big can we get? How much can we do? Yeah. Where is our... They're starting to look at it. They're not looking like, well, you're just trying to get something out of me. They're like, where is our cap? Because they're, they're getting to where they're impressed with themselves and they want to find out, what, what do I cap at? Winning and, begets winning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. So uh, it, it's super important when you're on the lead to beat that drum and it's a winning beat. It's a winning message. It's a nonstop of, you know, this is how we treat people. And if for two seconds, anybody's thinking, oh, Joe, you're mean, you're hard, everything's about a W. It's not. But I'll tell you what, you, you try living life without money. See what happens. I like money. I like to give it away. I like to bless people with it. We've been on both sides. Oh, yeah. It is definitely easier. Yeah, I've been homeless. I've lived in trailers. I have been in the poorhouse. I'll tell you what, you want to know what problems are really like, don't have money. Yeah. Because you don't eat. Yeah. You know, and right now it's really cold in Middle Tennessee and food's crazy expensive and housing is even more expensive. It's unbelievable. It is insane how we went from small product town to New York City prices in like a 10-year span. Yeah. It's been insane here. And money is very important. Revenue is important. COVID told everybody that it is important what you do for a living and it is important the revenue you're generating. So all that being said, I mean, if we're going to circle back into the store, that whole band thing, that's what we did is kind of went in there, beat that drum, and that drove two people out of the store because they just said, you know what? I don't want to be accountable. And when once they basically said, I don't want you to ask me when I'm going to get a job done. And said, you're not okay with being accountable for the work you're doing. And they said, no, I'm not okay with that. I said, okay. All right, then. That's okay. That's where you're um, at. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. You know, let me know when you, we'll keep your toolbox inside and we'll let you know when the tow truck shows up. Yeah. So just that kind of thing. It pushed two people out all for the better. The mood got better and people around didn't even realize how much that rubs off on them and how negative it can be for them. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's painful to watch. It can be painful to to stop and think, am I just a full-on failure here? Did I just mess everything up? Did I just make a huge mistake? Or you got to dig in and start to say, you know what? I know I'm doing what's right and I believe in what I'm doing and it's going to ruffle a few feathers and I've got to trust my convictions on this and just go for it. And again, it's, I'm not going to come out of it unscathed, but we're going to come out of it better. And it, it did not take long for that to occur. You know, the people that wanted to leave are gone and the store turning and being on the up and up, just, I mean, that was evident quickly, very, very quickly. So that that's what we did. And without getting into too many details about you know, how all of our systems work because that's another conversation all of it in itself. But it's basically just enforcing the policies kindly, but making sure that they're happening, yeah, doing them, yeah. and then taking opportunities and holding people accountable to it. And most people were very responsive to it. 
they were like, yeah, you know what? We've been slipping. And the few that weren't like that, that wanted to deny it, they showed themselves the door. So yeah. it worked out. One thing that I, I think is really interesting too, it, you know, not to beat that analogy to death, you know, with the click tracks and everything, but, you know, each musician is highly skilled in what they are doing. Mm-hmm. And that music director and that click track is not telling them how to physically play the instrument. It's not circumventing what they should know as a professional. It is simply providing a cadence and some outline to that group of here's what this needs to look like. Here's how we're going to execute this um, from the perspective as a group. And so I think one thing that I want to make sure is clear to people listening is not, you know, that you as the manager or the, the district manager or the leader, whatever, however you want to call it, this is not micromanagement. This is not the, you know, this thing where, Hey, I, I'm, I want you to, to do it exactly this way and tell them how to do step-by-step their job. It is really this cadence of here's, here are the things that we expect from a higher level, but I'm not going to tell you to do your job. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you pretty much laid that out. Perfect. It's, Something to where, like you're saying, I'm not going to pick the phone up and tell you how to do your sales call. I'm, you know, I have some guidelines for your sales call of being polite. Yes, we're in the South here. So, yes, ma'am, no, ma'ams. They go a long way. But uh, that kind of thing, you know, keeping things kind and courteous and same with the interactions. And I feel like that's a big part of the, uh, the click track and a band coordinator is that it's keeping you in mind of that it's the band as a whole yeah. for the audience. Because, and again, that's also where I would really encourage somebody to go listen to a track because when, even when I would play, I wouldn't have, I would barely have vocals in mine. I would mostly have bass, a tiny bit of guitar, piano I didn't even care about. Mm-hmm. And unless they were lead. But, that's what I wanted in my ears. So maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, we need to find one. But the whole point to that is that these guys are doing their thing because the band director's looking at it from the perspective of a spectator. Yes. Because you're putting it on for the show. And right. at, at the con- like for us, our concert is fixing this car for a customer. That's right. And it is you need to understand from the customer's perspective of how fast was the check-in process? How well were the notes handed off to the tech? Did we address the actual concern? Um, did we repair it correctly? Did our quality control guy clean the car up? Did Were they a waiter? Did we get it back in ample time? Did we give them a ride? You know, did we get them a loaner or a shuttle? What, what was it that we did and did we do it to their perspective correctly? Mm-hmm. That's really what that is. Um, and it's important that people get that because like you said, the micromanaging, I know a lot of people that are like, I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to be told what to do. It's like, well, I, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you how to wash a wheel or how to put a tire on or I'm not there to do that. What I am there to do is make sure you understand that your perspective is one of 10 that make up a really big job for this customer. So everybody's together is what creates their perspective and their experience. So it's very similar to going to a resort. If 
you know, the welcome staff when you first walk in the door is terrible. It doesn't matter how great the dinner staff is. If you're like, man, that person when I walked in the door sucked, it's going to give you a bad taste in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But if you walk in and they just wow you and they're just over the top, you're like, this is the best place on earth. And you've been there like 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. but they can make your experience that great. It's the same way with everybody. Everybody has a part. The way that hotel handles your luggage, the way they do your dinner, the way they prepare your linens and they come and do house cleaning. All of that stuff adds up and it's a total perspective, but it's a giant team Mm -hmm. doing it. Just like, you know, no one came to just see a drum solo. No one came to just see a guitar solo. They came to see the band, the whole The entire production. The entire production. That's what they came for. That's when, you know, the lights came in and the cool light shows, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like- Geek out on that. Yeah. It's super cool. It's super techie. But if you don't have the idea in your head that this is an experience and it starts with the most most higher, I guess, ranking, if you want to use that phrase, the highest ranking person in the building, all the way to the lowest. Because if your lowest person is the guy responsible for cleaning the toilet and it doesn't get cleaned and they walk in there, how bad is that experience now? That's, it's that's pretty crappy. Yeah. <laughs> Pun Sorry. Joke. Sorry. A bunch of dads here. Oh. Um, anyway, but that that just ruins it for them. So there is no one more important than the other. It's as a whole. And it has to be viewed that way. So the micromanage, I, I hate that phrase, micromanaging. It's usually when... I don't know if I've ever had anybody say it to me that they didn't have a serious attitude problem and they were also a problem in themselves. Like they had a problem everywhere in their Huge life. Ego, yeah. All kinds of like, issues. It, like no, I'm not, I'm sure there are people that have been micromanaged. I'm saying this has been my personal encounter. We don't need a bunch of emails being like, bro, you have no idea. But <laughs> I'm sure there are some out there. Thomas at slcautopodcast.com. Yep. Hit him up, y'all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's got to be viewed as who's the spectator of what we do and that's who we perform for. Yeah, You're not there for yourself. When you make it about yourself, it always goes south. It yeah. always does. That goes for everything. Work, uh, relationships at home. And I, I think it's Jim Rohn who always says, or, or maybe it was Zig Ziglar, that you make sure everybody else gets what they want and you'll get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that way in life. Yeah. You, you, if you're the leader, that's what you do. Now, that doesn't mean everybody gets their way, but it is, you know, they get what they want. They're doing the job that you hired them to do. The client is getting what they hired you to do. In our case, a fixed car or in a band, a great experience seeing live music. So it's really important to see it as a whole and not just me. Yeah. You know, or just them or just that person are focusing even worse, focusing on that guy's doing this one thing wrong and because he does it. Well, guess what? I'm going to suck too. That's a, I, and it's, it's counterintuitive, but it's that self-sabotage type of spirit that I, I'm not really sure. I haven't spent a lot of time like cracking that one open, but the people that fall into that self-sabotage, I think it's a really close brother or sister to the victimhood 
It's a worth issue, in it, my it, opinion. Probably. Self-worth. Yeah, it probably is. And they got to keep things back. But I also see them do it so that they can then turn around and be the victim. So how, however, either way, they're all bad. Not, not at all going to say you should do that. But people will do that or they will say things. And they will literally watch someone else do something wrong in a bad mood or angry and they'll slam something down and they'll be like, well, you know, if they're having a horrible day, well, then guess what? <laughs> Hold my beer. I'm going to have a horrible day too. It's like, I think, I don't want to say this. It, it Outside looking in with situations like that, it really is to me also a permissions issue. Mm. Someone that you respect does something, you know, cusses somebody out, you know, what, whatever bad behavior it is, it then invites you into that and, and, and gives you a permission to do that. And so especially as someone in leadership, that example is everything. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's interesting you said that about the permission thing. I'm always drawn. Every time we talk about permission in my house, we all watched Parks and Rec. Such a good show. When Ron Swanson goes to that little festival and the police officer or like the park ranger, I think it was, says, well, you can't be doing that. And he said, oh, here. I have a permit and he hands him a piece of paper that's just folded up and he opens it and says, I can do what I want. <laughs> so every time we hear permissions, that's that's a big thing with our kids too is freedom is everything. You are free to love me, free to hate me. You are free to leave me or stay. You are free to do anything. And I look at staff the same way is I don't own them. I We made a contractual agreement between two adults. I'm going to give you a currency and you're going to perform a task. That's what it is. And it's an agreement. It doesn't mean I get to treat them poorly or less than or any of that. They're a stinking human being and they get to have their own freedoms. Now, their choices that they make may cost them their job and that's okay. It's their choice to make. But when you can start accepting that, the crap doesn't get to you. You know what I mean? Like they're not able to just push your button day in, day out because at the end of the day, hey, you chose it. You're going to deal with the consequences. It's living life with open hands. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to grab, and that's in one of some of my notes too, moving on to that is trying to control everything. And- Oh, it's exhausting. It is. It's so tiring. Oh. And- the less control I have, the better. But it's it's interesting when I watch people that will uh, talk to me about a lot of stores or something and they're like, oh my gosh, well, how do you do that with seven stores? It's like, I have awesome teams. I I don't do, it's like I, I do a lot, but I don't actually go and run them all. Like they, for some reason, they think I'm answering every phone call that every store gets or I fix every car. It's like, I, dude, I don't work on cars. I don't answer the phone. I don't do that. I'm at a different point where that is your job and that's why you make what you make mm-hmm. is because you are going to run this and we're going to see what you can do and I'm going to support you and equip you and fund you and we're just going to see where we can go with it. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always end up working out great like this other uh, 
manager was and we have to part ways with one another. But at the end of the day, that's how that really functions. It's believing in the freedom that I'm going to give you the freedom to succeed. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. They'll give these people, they'll say, oh, well, they messed this up. Well, they messed that up. Have you ever seen anybody hit a home run also not strike out? Because at some point, you're swinging for the fences. You're going for broke. And when you do get a hold of that ball, you don't get to run out there and say, I swung that. I hit that. No, that staff member, that player hit that. Yeah. But they also get to strike out. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to... Now, there's a certain point where strikeouts are... They cost too much. But... I mean, nobody talks about Babe Ruth and how much he struck out. All they talk about is how many times he pointed and it was over the fence. So there, there is a diminishing return in strikeouts, but you should expect them if they're swinging for the fences. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a leadership uh, expectation, I think, that people believe everybody's going to be perfect and that they can control everything. And the reality is, is you can't just hurry up and accept that. There's so many things you can't control. If you're really honest with yourself and you look around, just look out the stinking window. Try to tell a bird what to do. <laughs> try to tell a squirrel to get out of the tree. I mean, just try telling another driver, a person that actually understands English, what to do. Like that saying that says, next time you think you're important, go try to tell someone else's dog what to do. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't work out. Doesn't work. It's, yeah. So control's a myth. It really is. And it just, it leads you down a, a bad path of micromanaging, stress, anxiety. And I don't mean to say th throw caution to the wind and don't have guidelines, don't have, you know, uh, certain goals set up for your people. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is I'm not here to hold your hand and guide it for a certain point I am. But not on day out, day in, day out operations, the norm, that kind of stuff. That's that's stuff that you get equipped to do and you run on and I'm just sitting there clicking that click. You know, that click track's always running. Let's go. We're doing our job. Let's handle it. Let's do it now. Everything's now. Yeah. Not later. And that was a whole nother thing too. That's good. I like to rabbit trail. <laughs> Joe, what I love about this conversation is really getting to see the full picture of a how to come back from a store that's struggling but two a lot of the mindsets that go into you being able to overcome that because mm. i i think that you know so often you can be in a situation where wow the store is really struggling and, and it's just so overwhelming and you don't trust the process and you end up extending it out so the wisdom that you brought in this interview is awesome I, i'm really grateful for it Thank you. I'm hoping it helps somebody out there. I believe it will. Well, Joe, I um, in part two, I want to dive into uh, what it looked like to staff all these stores. I think that's going to be a ton of fun. Um, and then probably part three, we'll talk a little bit about emotional intelligence. So I think that'll uh, be good. I think it'll be great. Well, folks, we're going to wrap up this particular episode. Stay tuned in two weeks for part two. Thanks for listening. That was my interview with Joe Stokes. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. 
To help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-645-3683. Thanks. Have a great week.